Shut up and sit down. When the Wind Blows is an epic, inspired podcast bringing innovation to professional development. Welcome back to When the Wind Blows, an epic podcast for parents, teachers, leaders, and anyone vested in the world of education. Today's topic is one that I honestly um, have always kind of done, but I didn't know it was a thing until I met today's co-host. Uh, today's co-host is Scott Trower. He's the assistant. He's one of the assistant superintendents here at Epic. Uh, Scott, can you give me your official title? Sure, I'm the assistant superintendent of school improvement. Boom! And what a, an amazing topic to be able to improve schools. Uh, like. I'm really excited. When you gave this topic to me, uh, I was like, yep, that's the one. We were, we were trying to like, what do you think? What do you think? And when you said disrupting, I thought, okay, that's it. So we are talking about disrupting education this week. And I kind of think Epic's been doing it for the last 10 years, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. That's what we're working on. Well, before we get too far in, I want to know your origin story. Like, How'd you get involved in education? And then what made you bring that to Epic Charter School? Sure. Um, you know, I don't want to be melodramatic, but uh, when I was in the eighth grade, I felt called to be a teacher. And uh, for two reasons, I had a teacher that I loved named Steve Nance. Uh, Steve was that incredible teacher that connected with kids that did things that were out of the box that just made learning fun. And uh, he, he's the reason that I love politics and government. That was his, that was the class that I took with Mr. Nance. Uh, the other teacher, I won't name him, but it was uh, he was a coach, and uh, it was one of those classes that we spent all of our time talking about sports and drawing plays on the chalkboard and not learning. And I was actually interested in the topic in the class, and I thought to myself, I. I could do better than this and I want to, I want to do better than this. And so I decided at that point I was going to be a teacher and I couldn't wait. Uh, I have an aunt that's a teacher. Um, she's retired now, but at the time she had been in education about 30 years. And, uh, she, I, I told her, Hey, Aunt Debbie, I'm going to be a teacher. I decided I'm going to be a teacher. And she looked at me and she said, there's no way you'll ever make it as a teacher, Scott. And I said, what do you mean? She said, you're, you're uh, too much of a uh, nonconformist and a disruptive person. And I, I thought, well, how, why are you saying that about me? And it just took the wind out of my sails. Yeah. And I, uh, she was right. Um, I struggled as a teacher because I was a nonconformist and a disruptor. I just could not, figure out a way to play by the rules because the rules weren't benefiting kids. No. Uh, I too have a, a teacher who I won't name <laughs> who, who kind of did the same thing, but it wasn't until I was an adult, Scott. Uh, I was a teacher's assistant sitting in 
uh, Jennifer Lake's classroom. And Jennifer Lake is one of our teachers now. And it was one of the coolest things in the world to get to bring her here. But I'm sitting there. I've got this, this group of kids that I'm supposed to be working with. And she's teaching her math lesson. And she was literally differentiating at the exact same time. And I thought, oh my gosh, I am, I think I was like 25 years old. And I now know how to add and subtract fractions with unlike de- with unlike denominators. And it was just like this aha moment for me. I'd always hated school. I'd always hated math. But she was the one that uh, that made me decide I wanted to be an educator. Uh, and, and I think that that was awesome. And I appreciate her every day for that because I found my calling at 24 years old or 25, whatever it was. I went back to school, got my degree, and I'm here. Um and then in the road was hard too because I I showed up to school in a ball gown one day and uh, and this was in in the brick and mortar that I worked in and um, we did the Academy Awards of figurative language and so I dressed the part I made these trophies and I just remember the the lady across the hall said oh my gosh you are gonna burn out you will never last with that enthusiasm and I thought well that was kind of a rotten thing to say. Like that was a rotten thing to say. And so you've been disrupting for a while, but you got into admin and had another disruption. Yeah, that's the reason I actually got into admin. Um, I got tired of being told no. You know, I was (laughs) a teacher and I had great ideas. I had ideas that were disruptive outside the box. And I was told, no, we can't do that. That will never fly. Or no, we don't have the money for that. And it, it just frustrated me to no end. Um, I, I remember when I first became an assistant principal, I, I uh, had this idea to do something that nobody had ever done in, in, a, in a traditional school. And I went to my uh, principal and to my superintendent and they just kind of laughed it off and said, you know, no, there's no way nobody will ever, we will never have the money for that. And that just won't fly in education. It's not possible. Um, so uh, I thought to myself, okay, well, I'm going to become superintendent because I, I want to be able to one says be able to say yes, and so and that's what drove me into administration, and eventually led me into the doors of Epic. Uh, being that type of an administrator is how I uh, landed on the radar of the co-founders Ben Harris and David Cheney. That is so wicked awesome. I I remember when you first came here, I Googled you and I thought, oh my gosh, what are they doing? You know, (laughs) you had some, you had some articles written about you. Do you remember that time of year? Yeah. Everybody's going to Google me now that you've said that. (laughs) Well, now they'll see really awesome things, right? Yeah. No, they'll, they'll uh, see exactly that I'm speaking the truth. Uh, So, um, so you asked a question, what was it that you said? Just like, what what was it, that one thing that, that like really landed you in the hot seat? And, and they, I mean, they, they found you and brought you here, which is wicked awesome. A lot of people apply, but uh, we go out searching for talent when we, when we find it and we found you. Well, we, yeah. epic. Uh, we were, we were doing some pretty amazing things at a little school where I was a superintendent and uh, we had some good partnerships. I feel like that's important for any school leader to build relationships and partnerships with people outside of the school world. To, and it was the, for the sole purpose of leveraging those relationships to make things happen for kids. And as a result of that, I met Ben Harrison, David Cheney at a meeting and um, 
they were on the opposite side of the table and we kind of bantered back and forth with each other. And, um, of course they're hard to banter with and come out ahead. You, as you know, <laughs> but uh, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. So about three or four days later, my secretary called me in my office and said, Hey, there's two guys here in suits at the office. They wanted to talk to you. And it was Ben and David. And, um, they came in and sat down and we chit chatted a little bit and they offered me a job. They said, we want you to come to work for Epic. And that was, that was the beginning of my career eight, uh, almost nine years ago with Epic. What a super cool story. Um, so we're talking about disrupting education. Give me like, give me your just best definition of disrupting education. Well, I, I don't want to be cliche, but I really feel like it's um, being willing to do whatever you have to do, what's best for kids at all costs. And you think, well, yeah, every educator is willing to do that or, um, that's what being an educator is all about. The problem is, and, and, and I, you know, there's some people that I would say they know better, but for the most part, just like when I was a teacher, I tried to do what's best for kids, but it was outside of my control. And so, you know, I'm not going to fault everybody that uh, wants to disrupt that can't, um, you know, so, but it's, it really is to me doing what's best or being willing to do what's best for kids at all costs. So what are some of the characteristics or mindsets of somebody who might be a disruptor? Um, I think the biggest mindset is to look at the status quo, the education world status quo and think, um, what, what can I do to get outside of that mindset? What is it that I have to do as an educator to provide a path, to blaze a path, to uh, do what's best for kids that will go against the status quo? Because if, if we just do things the way we've always been doing them, we're never going to uh, see our students grow. Um, I remember one time <clears throat> I had this idea to, we had, a, we had a problem in my little school of uh, truancy. We had a problem of kids just not taking things seriously, their, their studies seriously. And we had a discipline problem. And, and it was an inherited problem that when I came into that school, it was, there was a lot of things going on that just were, were negative. And so... I thought, you know what, we need to figure out a way to incentivize these students. And so I went to my board and said, here's what I want to do. I want to raise money and I want to offer these kids the opportunity to go on a trip that they've never been on before outside of their community. And if they, if they make uh, bees are better and if they uh, don't get in any trouble, we're going to take them to Oklahoma city. We're going to take them to a thunder game. We're going to take them to a fancy steakhouse. We're going to buy them a big dinner and we're going to treat them like royalty. And most teachers will say, yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, you know, we do incentive things all the time, but we're talking about, you know, 150 kids and figuring out how to do that with those kids. Well, we did it. And, and my board's first question was to me, well, we can't do that. Nobody's ever done that before. Yeah. Well, that you tell me I can't do something 
then I'm going to, I'm going to be the first one to prove you wrong. So that it's just having that mindset that I'm not going to do what the status quo thinks. I'm going to be willing to go against the grain and I'm going to look for opportunities to disrupt. That's, that's the key is looking for those opportunities. It's kind of like that person who uh, gets their thrill, that adrenaline junkie who climbs those, you know, you've seen those guys that climb those uh, cliffs that are you oh, know, yeah. really high without any ropes or safety nets. Yeah. They look at that and they say, I'm going to do that because everybody else says it can be done. And that's, that's the mindset of a disruptor. Did you watch that movie Free Solo? I've seen parts of it, but I haven't seen okay. all of it. That it gives me anxiety. No, to I see oh that. me too. Uh, yeah. Those videos where you see people like on the edge of a mountain riding their bikes, I can't do it. Those people are disrupting <laughs> what bike riding is, yeah. which is awesome, but it scares the mess out of me. Um, you said something a minute ago, and it's basically going against the status quo, and I love that. And and. It's not like, I don't know, not all of the status quo is horrible. I mean, Epic, I would say we're disruptors, but we still teach the standards. We still teach students. It's not like, you know, we're reinventing anything around here. But I think what we do is we offer, I mean, the person that knows those kids the best, the parents, we offer them a say in some of that. Uh, you know, as a teacher, I could say, hey, I think your kiddo would really like Apex, yada, yada, yada for their curriculum. Let's let's work on that. Let's pick that curriculum. And they may say, OK, but when it comes to math, we just need a little more hands on. And so can we do like Matthew C or um, I don't even remember what that uh, it was like with the scale where you were doing algebra with the scale and each little piece upon it. And somebody's going to comment and be like, that was this anyway. But, but it was a way to think about algebra and it was like two R's plus blue equals. And then you're like, okay, well if, if the answer is 15, what do these numbers represent? And it was like a, a very tangible way to do algebra. And so, um, you know, giving the parent the say in, I think all of that's going to be great, but we would like to do this for social studies, or I think all of that's going to be great, but we really want to dissect the cow eyeball this year. You know, allowing some of that choice is is huge. And as long as it meets the standards, we're always willing to do that. Don't you think? Yeah, it's about empowering teachers to do and be the kind of teacher that they need to be. I mean, that's, you know, we have the hashtag school can be different. That's not that's not cliche. That is that if you don't subscribe to that philosophy, then you don't need to work here. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, I remember, uh, I, one of my probably most successful stints as an educator was when I worked in an alternative school and I love those kids. They were, they were kids that for, were, uh, had criminal records or from broken homes. You, you actually know one of my students from that time in my life. His kids came to Epic, and yep. uh, you were his. You and your husband were his teacher, their teacher. But um, we, I remember, I was trying to teach these kids the Bill of Rights, and uh, I had been to a couple of professional developments where they were teaching us, you know, outside the box ways to teach government and law and uh, history. And so we came up with a Bill of Rights rap. I mean, do you remember it? it? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't. I, Dang. I'm, I know a little bit of it, but I, you're not going to get me to try because I'll mess it up. 
Um, I know the Bill of Rights because I helped, I taught that rap. That's how I did it, but I don't know the rap. But I had, you know, I had kids that were uh, inner city kids and kids who want to be gangbangers. And that was, that rap was uh, right up their alley. And so we came up with it and we stomped our feet and clapped our hands. Well, we were in this really old school in Tulsa that had wooden floors and it made noise that rattled all the way down the hall to get in trouble. This teacher, and I'm not going to say who she was, but she comes and knocks on my door. What are you doing in there? And I said, we're learning the bill of rights. Well, it sounds like y'all are just having a party in here and you're disrupting everything. I said, well, Sorry, you know. Well, she marched down to the principal's office and told on me, filed a complaint that I was uh, not teaching, that I was having, we were just having fun, making noise. And the principal would come down to my office and I would come down to my classroom and open my door to see what was going on and stood there for a minute. And I, thankfully, my principal was like, this is awesome. I see what you're doing here. Yes. And, I guarantee you, those kids to this day, I ask them because they're I'm friends with them on Facebook. What are the things that you remember? Oh, well, you remember when you taught us the Bill of Rights rap by uh, and stomping on our feet, clapping our hands. So that that mindset is what we empower our teachers at Epic to do, and we expect them to do. If they don't, then they're not going to make it. They have to go and think outside the box because, you know, they're teaching pre-K through 12th grade and they're teaching every single subject. I remember a teacher at Epic that I used to call Superstar because she taught uh, a book, a novel with her students that they read together, all grade levels, all ages, the uh, Swiss Family Robinson classic novel. And when they got done reading the book with each other, they went out and built a treehouse in the woods the same way that they did in the book. And the kids worked together and they did math to help do the, the treehouse. That's the kind of educators that Epic has that are disruptive. That is a disruptive way of teaching. Um, that teacher is probably amazing. Um <laughs> So I remember one year, uh, just, I, I'm incredibly, I'm, I'm just musically inclined anything with music and it, it really doesn't matter. And it honestly drives me crazy when I get one of those like dubstep songs or super pop songs stuck in my head. Cause I can't get it out. I'd much rather listen to like country or some like uh, classic rock or whatever. But, uh, one year I told my students, uh, they were to research something that was difficult to them. Right. And then they chose the song that they wanted. And then I would take their research and I would write it into the song that they wanted. And um, I already sang the Miley Cyrus one on a previous episode. So you'll have to go back and find that one. But I'm going to sing a piece. There was a girl who just all the components of figurative language were messing with her. Okay. And, and it's one of those things like you have to know um, what is a simile? What is a metaphor? What is, you know, onomatopoeia? And just being able to do this. So she wrote the word and the definition and an example in each. And so I'm going to sing it for you. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. So it goes, and she chose that counting stars song. Um, I think it's by one Republic. So it goes like this. 
I see this life like a swinging vine. That's a simile. Don't be blind. Draws a picture. Compares two things like her as. Now that's a breeze. Metaphor. Almost the same part of speech that compares two things with no association. A resemblance. The world's a stage. Now let's all dance. Personification. Something like wind whistling softly. And an animate object like a broomer bear singing so quietly. Onomatopoeia, snap, boom, pop, buzz, bow, ow, and kitching. And then the whole song was basically all of her. There's a whole other um, verse and everything else. But we did, uh, gosh, physical science. We did, um, uh, what was that? Oh, we've got fraction song. Somebody uh, adding and subtracting fractions. It was, it was really, like, that was a super fun year. Uh, and, and doing projects is just what I love. And you and I got to work on a project once together too for a student. You had already started the groundwork for our court of dreams thing that we do, right? And I had a student, um, uh, she hated math in all ways. And she loved Kevin Durant. And now nobody in Oklahoma loves Kevin Durant, but I bet she still does. Anyway, when he was with the Thunder, uh, we set it up and we we made that court of dreams, which you were already doing, into a day of math. And now we do it every single year. And she never fully loved math, but she remembered that experience and she was always willing to go above and beyond for us because we went above and beyond for her. And I think that's really what disrupting is, is making sure a student in all ways understands what they need to understand. I mean, it, it's it's all still standards-based. So that's not, you know, that's typical education, yeah. but just finding new ways to make it work for them. Um, why do you think we get so much hate for doing that? <laughs> I mean, seriously, there, there's so much hate, so much dissent from the traditional EDU world. I mean, what's that Diane Reykjavik or whatever has that national blog and people across the nation read her and she chose epic to write about she hates us which made other people hate us and oklahoma already hated us why do we get so much hate or dislike well and i'm probably going to stoke the fires with what i'm getting ready to say um but again i i go against the grain so i'm going to say it anyway knowing that uh, it's because they can't keep compete with us they don't uh, they don't have a traditional teacher in a traditional brick and mortar classroom has 35 kids that they're trying to teach one lesson to. And you have kids in the middle, you have kids on the fringes, you have kids that are ahead, kids that are behind and they can't individualize. They cannot compete. They also have budget constraints. They, they, and, it, and it's really priorities. I, they say budget constraints. I call it they have a priority problem. They don't set their priorities correctly. And so <clears throat> um, it, to me, it's having the intestinal fortitude to make hard decisions. And they, they won't do that because they're in a self-preservation mode. Because those, self, those uh, hard decisions sometimes will be, uh, you got to get rid of bad teachers as an administrator. To be a disruptor, you have to be able to fire teachers and be willing to fire teachers that aren't cutting the mustard. We don't have enough time in this world with these kids to teach them effectively and get them across the finish line. We have a very limited amount of time. And if you as an administrator are allowing 
low-performing, bad teachers to just sit out there and hang loose and do their thing without holding them accountable and getting rid of them, then you're the problem. Well, you ask the question, why do we garner so much hate? One of the reasons is that we, we bring teachers in and we have a really good compensation. We pay our teachers better than any school in the state of Oklahoma. They can't compete with that. We allow our teachers that autonomy to teach the way they want to. But we also can fire teachers if they're not doing their job without any kind of red tape, no union thing, nothing like that. So uh, to me, the secret sauce is to be willing to die on the battlefield. And everybody that I know that works at Epic is willing to go in, go into battle and take the, the uh, battle scars that we're going to have to take in order to do what's best for kids and self preserve If you're a self-preservation person, you're not going to ever do that. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes, and I'll always go back to it. And for the work, I mean, for the record, like most of my PD came through this ed camp experience, which isn't something that Epic's done. It's just kind of educators across the state coming together and um, one of the things I loved about that is that you could really chew the fat with teachers and administrators and, and you just spoke your mind. And whether it was, you know, you didn't know who was in the room because you guys are all across the state. It's not one school coming together. And I remember sitting across from this superintendent whom I didn't know was a superintendent for a while. And now we're, you know, semi-friends, I mean, I, frenemies, I guess, but um Anyway, we were just kind of grinding about virtual and and he was so anti-virtual and he's like, but I like you. And I'm like, but I am this, like I want to eat and breathe and sleep this. And I don't understand why you hate what we're doing so much. And there was no real, the rumors that, uh, that go around us, that was why he hated us. And it's so hard when the world is so loud and you're just like, but it's not true, you know, um, (laughs) It's so hard, but it was all those rumors and, and we've remained friends and that's frenemies, um, because he still hates everything we do here. But, um, but it's one of those things where he and I were going at it and I had no idea who he was. Well, when we came, he, when I'm working with Epic and, and, um, I had you as a mentor and I had Ben and David chatting with me and Dr. D and I remember really stepping out of turn at one point and, and kind of like when Ben and I were uh, cussing and discussing something and I was like, but that's just not right. It's, it's not true or whatever. And I was like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Like I did not mean to speak to you that way. And he's like, Hey, no, it's no problem when there's no time for niceties when you're trying to change the face of education. And I just remembered thinking, Oh my gosh, like I am so home. It's unreal. The fact that yeah. There is, I mean, there is a hierarchy because that's what the world knows and we have that. But if your idea is solid enough, they don't care if you're passionate and and bringing it to them. And I just think that that's huge. I I never met the superintendent of the last school I worked at, let alone the, you know, the assistant super or anything. I mean, the principal was who I knew. And if I had a great idea and that principal said no, I mean, that was where it stopped, Right. Um, and, and it just doesn't happen here. And as long as you're always working for the best interest of the kids and it's educational, (laughs) you're going to probably get told, yes, if we can make it happen, we're going to try right here. And I just, 
I remember thinking, oh my word, I am home. Um, yeah, that, go for it. No, I was just going to say, you, you made me think about something and I probably overused this analogy, but it's important to, I think for the listeners to know what Epic is about. And, and you talk about people who, um, the, the education world and why we garner so much hate. It's interesting though, uh, with through the pandemic, things have changed. The tide has changed. And, um, you know, we have 60,000 plus students in our doors right now. Uh, in our, we started school on Tuesday with that many kids and we're going to grow probably to 65,000 before it's said and done. And I, I stole this analogy from a friend of mine who works at life church. Um, but the, the analogy is that for 10 years, we've been building the ark. And when the flood came this spring, we were ready. We were prepared. And what I love about um, Epic is that even though we've had all the hate and we've had all the negative publicity and people saying things about us that's not true, there were those traditional school educators that um, came to us and said, hey, can we get, can we get on the uh, arc with you? Because we know that you guys have, know what you're doing. And we built a task force and we helped and we put together professional development and training for those brick and mortar school superintendents to take to their schools so that they could provide virtual learning for their kids. And so um, the tide will, is turning. And I think that uh, eventually those people that are naysayers, I, I think most of them are old school guys, that uh, the superintendents and school leaders that they need to retire there's a new crop of people that are our age that are running schools that are more open-minded to what's going on, open-minded to the real world. And uh, I think it's going to benefit kids. <clears throat> oh, I totally agree. Now, you, um, before we before we hop off here, because I want to respect your time, but you, um, you brought up a book a few years back and you were like, if anybody yeah. wants to get this book, I'll pay you. I'll, I'll pay you back. I'll reimburse you for the thing. Just read this book. What was that book and why were you so passionate about that? It was the Disrupting Class by Clayton Christensen. And when I read that book, um, I read that book right when I came to work for Epic. Um, or I guess right before I came to work for Epic. And it was like the playbook for what we were trying to do. And I had asked Ben and David, have you guys read this book? And David had, I didn't know, if, uh, I can't remember if Ben did or not, but David had read it. And I said, this book is the playbook for what Epic is all about. And it still holds true to this day. I, I just uh, went back and reviewed the Cliff Notes um, just here recently. And we're still following that blueprint. And uh, so... I feel like it's super important for people who have a disruptive mindset. You, you, you know, I made mistakes in my disruptive, I'm going to go against the grain and what happens when you make those mistakes, you, you go fight those battles, but sometimes you die on the battlefield. And while you can get things um, done for kids and set their life on a path or their, their path uh, straight and get them going in the right direction if you die on the battlefield too many times, then it 
that's disruptive to your disruption, if that makes sense. You want to be able to maintain, you want to be able to live and keep doing things and keep, and so what for me, and it's not about this podcast is not about me, but I think it's important to know that what Epic is about, I came to Epic because I was a disruptor and I have yet to out disrupt Ben Harrison, David Cheney. I can't, (laughs) I try. And whenever I try to bring something to the table, that's going to be a, a paradigm shift away from what we're what we're doing they come up with something that's even more disruptive that you know anyway so that's what we're about and um that book i think was written 15 years ago i mean it's a it's been around for a long time um and there's a lot of offshoots from it i i highly encourage anybody who wants to be a disruptor to go read that book I love it. And I've linked it in the show notes. So if anybody uh, is listening to this and you just scroll down on your app, whatever, you can see the show notes and it's linked in there on Amazon. Uh, It, we have the book. Uh, I didn't even realize what a disruptor I was. I didn't know what it was. I just knew that I needed something different growing up. I mean, and I've told the story a few times, but if this is somebody's first episode, um, I'll say it again. I, was a high school dropout. Um, their school and I just were not friends. And it's ironic that I am so passionate about education when I hated it so stinking much growing up. Uh, but I found out at, at uh, 36 years old, Scott, that I'm dyslexic. Uh, I was labeled LD in fourth grade. And I just kind of rode that LD title. I used it as a crutch and I used it as an excuse. And, um, and it turns out there's, there's uh, a book called uh, Twice Gifted, or I think maybe it's just gifted. Anyway, there, there's, I've read a few too many books. But it talks about like dyslexia shouldn't be a crutch. We should highlight the things that these people are good at. And, um, and I just thought, oh my gosh, somebody's speaking my language. Here we go. Let's go do this. And, and education does not have to be the same. School can be different guys. And we've been doing it for 10 years. It's truly amazing. Uh, any parting words, Scott Trower? I love talking with you. I love talking with you, especially about this. I'm, I'm thankful that you asked me to be a part of this. It, it gets me, uh, juiced up my, you know, to talk about the, the reason why, um, you know, I've, it's, it's important that we know why and why Epic is, uh, growing at the rate that it's growing, why 60,000 kids chose to come to us, why we're allowed to do the things that we're, uh, that we're doing. It's, uh, because of a disruptive attitude that says the status quo education world, uh, is not for everybody. It is for some people, but it's not for everybody. And right now, in this season in life, it's for 60,000-plus kids. And um, I'm thankful that, we, that we're here to offer that path for kids to, to go to school, to get educated in a way where they feel safe, and um, they can get what they need and what they deserve. Thank you. Well, that's all the time we have for today. If you like what you heard, go ahead and hit the like button or subscribe button to the podcast so that you're notified each time a new episode drops. If you're a returning listener, rate the podcast, leave us a comment. Tune in next week where we are rethinking how leadership and education can better prepare us for the next generation of a rapidly evolving world.